Good afternoon and welcome. This is Bill Allen coming to you from a very iffy internet connection. So if I come in and out a little bit, hang in there with me. I'm hoping that we'll make it through this study because we have three great chapters of John to look at. Uh, as you're reading your daily Bible reading, we find ourselves getting close to the end of Jesus' ministry, <clears throat> which of course means that we're getting close to his arrest and um, crucifixion and resurrection, and that's exciting stuff. And we'll be getting, we'll be reading all of that over the next several days. <coughs> Excuse me. So I hope that uh, you're hanging in there with us. And remember, if you get behind, <clears throat> read today's reading first. That's always the plan, and that will keep you from getting further behind. And then, if you want <clears throat> and can, you can go back and catch up. Um, right now, we're looking at some great stories of Jesus in his ministry. In these last uh, uh, days and weeks of his uh, uh, life, he just has some splendid, wonderful things to say. And, uh, and the stories are so good and so familiar. Um, Luke 19 is the story of Jesus seeing that wee little man and uh, looking up in the tree and telling him, you come down from there, Zacchaeus, for I'm going to your house today, as the old kid song says. And in that time when he goes to his house, even though he's a tax collector, and just like with Matthew, lots of people that the other Jews considered outcasts, uh, Jesus says the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Just a great statement that we need to live by as well. Um, and of course, other great stories, uh, great passages, great teaching, Matthew 20, where the disciples are fighting over who's going to have the best seats when Jesus comes in his kingdom. And Jesus tells them, look, if you want to be first, you've got to be last. The least among you is going to be the greatest. In fact, the greatest among you will be the servant of all because, as Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save, just as he told Zacchaeus, but in Matthew 20, um, he tells them that he came uh, to serve and, and to give his life as a ransom for, for others. And that's what we're called to do as well. So as we read through this passage, I want us to look at uh, John chapter 10, first of all, and then we'll go on to chapter 11 and then a few things from chapter 12. But in these chapters are... Uh, three or four great I am statements, and they start in John chapter 10. In fact, in John chapter 10, Jesus says in verse 7, I am the gate for the sheep. Um, and he says, all who have come before me, verse 8 in, of John 10, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. Um, I am the gate, again, verse 9, whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out, and they will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I always think of uh, the great group a cappella, which is going to be at West Irwin Church of Christ next spring on March the 3rd. Go to acapella.org and, and buy a ticket and come see us and have a great night of praise and worship and joy as we uh, participate in that great concert being hosted by our church and, and have that, that 40th anniversary tour here. Boy, it's going to be such a fun night. Still some tickets available, acapella.org, and look for the Tyler date, March the 3rd, 
and come see us. We'd love to uh, party with you that night and uh, enjoy just a lot of fun and a great night of praise to our God. But in one of their old songs, uh, it was introduced with that scripture, John 10, verse 10. Uh, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Um, and then in verse 11, Jesus clearly says, I am the good shepherd. Just as he said, I am the gate or the door for the sheep. Got to come through me if you're going to get in. He also says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, what does he do? He abandons the sheep, runs away, saves himself. But the good shepherd will put his life on the line, will give his life for his sheep. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Again, in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, Jesus says, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Uh, what a powerful, powerful statement. Jesus says, look, nobody is taking my life from me. And as, they, as we sing sometimes, he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have put an end to this at any time. Uh, starting from the temptations that Satan drew at the very beginning of his ministry, all the way till the cross when they were challenging him, come down from there, call these legions of angels and we'll believe in you. Uh, Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many, just as he had said in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. He is the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Seven great I am statements from Jesus in the Gospel of John. I hope you've noticed those as you've been reading along. And we're going to read two more uh, 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 before we finish up uh, this great reading. Uh, in John chapter 11, there is this, uh, this great, great story. Um, it is just an amazing story because um, it involves uh, friendship. It involves uh, emotional connection. It involves the pain of loss, and it involves the joy of life. Um, you know this story well, uh, I would imagine. In John 11, Jesus is uh, not there where they live in Bethany near Jerusalem. He's making his way there, but he's not there yet. And, and as they're going along, they get word from Mary and Martha and Lazarus, three of Jesus' good, good friends, um, we've seen Mary and Martha already, and now Lazarus, and the word is, Lazarus, the one you love is sick. And that's such a great way of putting that, Lord, the one you love is sick, John 11, verse 3. And Jesus takes his time, they tarry a little bit, they wait and wait, and, um, and Jesus finally says, you know, he's, he's, not, he's not sick, he's not, he's not dead, he's just resting, he's just asleep. And they said, well, look, if, uh, if that's the case, then he'll wake up. And Jesus says, no, our friend Lazarus is dead. He tells them that very plainly. But he also says that this is for your sake. And he says in verse uh, 14, I'm glad that we weren't there 
and uh, and he says that in the next verse, it's for your sake, uh, so that you may believe. That's the theme of the Gospel of John, that you may believe. G John himself says that uh, towards the end in John chapter 20, uh, verses 20 and 21, Jesus says, John says, Jesus did great things, all, too many to write, but I've written the ones I've written so that you may believe, and that believing you may have life. And so they go on to Bethany, even though it's dangerous because the Jewish leaders are already threatening to kill them. They're going to do that some more, as we're going to see. But they go to Bethany, and on their way, they get send word to Mary and Martha that the master is here, and he's close. And she runs out. Martha runs out to see him, Martha the oldest. And she makes this statement, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And how that must have pained Jesus to hear her say that, because it was true. It was true. It's very true. Um, and so Jesus tells her in verse 23, your brother will live again. Your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And you can almost hear her words, her, her plea as she makes that statement. Oh, I know that we'll meet together one day, but I want to meet together here in this life. And so Jesus said to her another great I am statement in verse 25 of, Matt, of John 11. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He asks Martha. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. What a great, great confession this wonderful Christian woman makes in the midst of her pain. She believes, she believes when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, she believes. Well, let's uh, keep reading. She goes back and she goes to her sister, Mary, who also very close to Jesus, uh, the one who sat at his feet, not hanging on every word, basically. Martha says, the master is here and he's calling for you. And it's interesting that Martha got up and ran out there, but Mary stayed. And then when she does go out and meet Jesus, she says the exact same thing. Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And so Jesus has them take him to them. And uh, as he's going, he sees all the people that are weeping and all the mourning that's going on. And he asks in verse 34 of John 11, where have you laid him? He asked, come and see, Lord, they replied. And then that marvelous John 11, verse 35 the shortest but one of the most powerful verses in Scripture, Jesus wept. Two words. Don't you remember that Walton episode where the kids, if they could recite a, a memory verse, they could get a piece of candy or something from the lady that was there, and, um, and one of them used that verse. Jesus wept, John 11, verse 35. Even though he knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he's going to replace their tears and their mourning with great joy. Still, he hurt for them, and he hurts for us in our losses today, too. Jesus wept. And so they go to the grave, they go to the tomb, and Jesus says, take the stone away, roll the stone away. And, and Martha, of course, practical Martha, says, Lord, it's been four days. Uh, there's an odor. And I love the King James Version here. Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> yes, he doth. He definitely stinketh after four days, but Jesus is uh, not worried about that because he knows what's about to happen. And after they take the stone away, Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. 
and I've said it and other preachers have said it, uh, it's a good thing he said Lazarus come forth because if he hadn't, if he had just said come forth, you would have had quite a parade. But it was Lazarus, time to be raised from the dead. And he comes out wrapped in all the grave clothes and yet very much alive. Had been dead for four days, very much alive. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. What a great, great statement. Uh, when they do this, of course, the people believe and the Jewish leaders once again meet together and say, what is going on? And Caiaphas, the high priest that year, says, look, this is, this is supposed to happen because one person is supposed to die for all. And, and he probably had no clue what he was saying, but he was inspired by God to speak that as high priest. And uh, from that day on, it says they plotted to take his life. And they would also plot to take Lazarus' life. Because how can they say Jesus isn't who he says he is when here's this man walking around with him who has been resurrected after being dead for four days? It's just an amazing, amazing thing. In the beginning of John chapter 12, we read uh, an, uh, one of the uh, occurrences that happens in Jesus' life that all four of the gospel writers record. We're going to see more of those, of course, as we look at the death and resurrection of Christ. Uh, but they all talk about this triumphal entry of Jesus. He goes into Jerusalem for the festival uh, of Passover and to be killed. And before that happens, of course, he goes there and, and they're laying down their, their coats. They're laying down uh, branches, palm tree branches from trees around and they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Quoting from the Old Testament passages such as Psalm 118. And of course, the Jewish leaders say, look, this isn't right. This isn't right. And yet, that is exactly what needed to happen. Uh, he was being praised as the Messiah that he was. And then in verse 20, he uh, interacts with some non-Jews. And this is where we come to a statement that we've been following throughout the Gospel of John. Uh, even beginning at the time of his first miracle at that wedding in Cana of Galilee, when they ran out of wine, it's Jesus' mother that comes to him and says they're out. And Jesus tells her, my hour, my time has not yet come. Well, we hear that another couple of times in John, and now that's about to change. John 12, verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. And by Greeks, they mean Gentiles or non-Jews, pagans. Verse 21, they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. These non-Jews could have been uh, uh, those Jews, uh, those Gentiles who uh, believed in God, the God of the Jews, God-fearing, uh, you might say. But at any rate, they want to see Jesus. Sir, we would like to see Jesus, they tell Philip. And Philip goes and gets Andrew, and it's Andrew and Philip again. Uh, just like earlier, a couple of times in the Gospel of John, uh, including when Jesus feeds the multitudes, it's these guys that team up and come to Jesus. And so they told Jesus. And now verse 23 of John 12, Jesus replied, the hour has come. Hour has come. It's time. It's time. 
The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. But what does that mean? Oh, it doesn't mean what it meant when he was coming into Jerusalem with great fanfare and great worship and great praise. This is what it means in verse 24. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Verse 27, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. We sing a great song, glorify your name. Father, we love you. We worship and adore you. Jesus, we love you. We worship and adore you. Spirit, we love you. We worship and adore you. Glorify thy name in all the earth. That's what Jesus prays here. Interestingly enough, in just a few days in the Garden of Gethsemane, he will pray that God would spare him from this horrible, horrible fate that he knew was coming. But even then, he says, as you know, not my will but yours be done. And he uh, submits himself to the will of the Father and offers his life just as he said he would. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Uh, that's exactly what he does. And so he says, no, I, I won't ask the Father to, to save me from this hour. This is the whole reason I came. Father, he says, glorify your name. That name would be glorified through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. God speaks down from heaven again. Uh, we had seen that a couple times at his baptism, at the transfiguration. And now a voice came from heaven in verse 28, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And, um, and Jesus says, look, this, this time it was for you. It was for you to hear because this way you know uh, that the Father is carrying out his will. Um, and so Jesus uh, talks to them and tells them and continues uh, to remind them, just as he has done so many times throughout the Gospels, throughout his ministry, he had told them time and time again, the Son of Man will be betrayed, he'll be delivered over to the, to the Romans, they will uh, accuse him and kill him, crucify him, in fact, and on the third day, he'll be raised. And now the hour has come. All of these things are beginning to come into play. The hour has come. Uh, it's such an incredible, incredible time as Jesus prepares uh, for these difficult, difficult days. I hope that as you read through these next several days of Jesus' uh, interaction with his disciples at the last uh, supper and and that final discourse uh, of John 13 through 17, such exciting, incredible words and teaching and encouraging words that he offers there, and that you'll also uh, read closely uh, Dr. F. Lagarde Smith's comments if you're using the Daily Bible, because he has some interesting thoughts about the timing of all of this uh, and the days that uh, Jesus uh, participates with his disciples in that last supper, that Passover meal that he shares with them. 
Um, and so it's, um, it's, it's disheartening to read what our Savior did for us. And at the same time, it's glorious because we know that he is the gate for the sheep, that he is the door, that he is the resurrection and the life. And when he says the hour has come to glorify the name of the Father through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son, we know for us what that means is that the hour has come for our Savior to lay down his life for our sins, your sins, my sins, so that we can be together with him for eternity. I hope and pray that you have a good weekend. And I hope and pray that as you read these words, these, this incredible story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, um, that you will be ashamed because of your sin and that you will be overjoyed because of the sacrifice of the Savior. May God bless you.